Hello and welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand. Thanks for joining. If you're new to the show, I'll introduce myself quickly. I'm a functional medicine practitioner and I run an online wellness clinic and I have clients, patients around the world and I offer 15-minute phone or Skype consults that you can book at my website and I'll talk with you about your health symptoms, your health goals. I know you hear me on the other end of the microphone. You think I'm just some digital soundbite, but I'm a real person in the trenches working with people each week. So I encourage you to set up that 15-minute free call. Tell me about your journey. I'd love to hear what you got going on and see if I can help you. Now I'm going to talk about a couple of my latest supplements before we get into this show. These are products that I use myself. These are products that I use on my clients, whether they're professional athletes. I have some Olympic ice skating clients or whether they're someone that I call more of a patient, someone that has a lot more health symptoms that we're trying to resolve. So I use a combination of different supplements that I formulated for specific uses. So one that I've been using with great success over the past few weeks is my NeuroSynergy product. So you may have heard that I wrote a book with a publishing company on nootropics. Nootropics are essentially brain vitamins, compounds, herbs, botanicals that support your brain health. And after I cured my IBS and got rid of my depression, something that lingered for me was brain fog. I wasn't able to focus. My attention and concentration and my learning ability were definitely impaired because of the issues that had happened in the gut for so long. And so with NeuroSynergy, what I have inside of this product is a couple of different things that are found in other common nootropic formulas, but I wanted to put my own spin on it. So I have the Hooperzine. I have Vinpocetine. These are two botanicals that are really common to enhance your blood flow in the brain, to They use it a lot for Alzheimer's patients and Parkinson's, just trying to help out the brain. But what I also found was this unique blend called Wild Blueberry Complex, which is a couple different things. So it's Alaskan blueberries, which have so much more antioxidants to help you produce more glutathione, which is your master detoxification hormone. But they also have huckleberries and bilberries in this complex, this Wild Blueberry Complex. So this is all designed to improve your cognitive function. And in some of the research that I've linked, I have all the PubMed studies for all of my supplements at the bottom. There's even been a reversal of cognitive decline by using wild blueberry complex like this. So Neurosynergy is the one I'm talking about. I have an immune support product called Immune Ultra. I have Calm Clarity, which is a magnesium supplement for your brain. I have uh, pure fish oils and other products. So check that out on my website, notjustpaleo.com, and click shop. Here's the show. Well, I'm here with Eileen Laird, and she is a podcast host herself, so this is going to be fun. And she lives in the mountains, and she has a website called Phoenix Helix, and she has also written a great book on autoimmune disease that we're going to talk about. And she sent me it, and it was one of those books. I get tons of books sent to me. And this was one of the books where I could literally go through page by page and extract the nuggets, and there was no fluff. And so I really appreciate no-fluff books these days because a lot of times people are forced into writing three or 400-page books because that's what the publisher wants, and you're sitting there stuck trying to extract the information. Not with Eileen's book. It's just boom, 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 here's what you need to know, and here's what you need to do about it, all specifically with an autoimmune component or an autoimmune lens to it. So welcome to the show. 
Thanks, Evan. It's a real pleasure to be on the show, and I think that might be my favorite review of my book ever. Thank you. Oh, well, you're (laughs) welcome. So let's start when your diagnosis happened of autoimmune disease. You mentioned that you've been in the mountains for quite some time. Were you diagnosed with an autoimmune disease before you got to the mountains? After. After? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And so talk us through that whole life process. Were you living in the city and then you escaped to the mountains and then you got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or how did this whole thing happen? Yeah. So those are, yeah, it's kind of two different stories, I guess. So Evan and I was, were talking a little bit before the podcast about I'm living in a small town in the Blue Ridge Mountains and I love being here and I was ready to leave the city behind. So was my husband by the time we moved here and it was a lifestyle change, meaning we took an income cut to come here. And as my husband put it, is we could work in the city till we were 65 if we lived long enough and then retire here if we were lucky or we could just live on less and move there now. So I followed his wisdom and we did that and it was lovely. So I know a lot of times there's like a trauma trigger for autoimmune disease or a highly stressful event. I have friends who lost a spouse or their spouse got really sick or they took care of their parents before getting autoimmune disease. And that was not the case for me. My life was good. Um, I worked for myself as a massage therapist. I set my own hours. I didn't overwork. I was happily married, had good friends. I had plenty of time for leisure. I spent my weekends hiking in the mountains. So I was physically fit. So there wasn't something you could point to and say, okay, she's really going down a scary path. But you know, no one's perfect. So um, I did eat gluten and dairy every day. It was organic. (laughs) I thought that was good enough. Um, I did have my snacks. You know, I have a sweet tooth that has tamed a lot since going paleo, but before paleo, I had my sweet tooth. So I definitely ate plenty of sugar. And I did have some digestive issues the year before rheumatoid arthritis hit that I didn't understand. And there wasn't a clear reason for them, but they would hit pretty strong when they hit, they would be quite painful, maybe once or twice a month. So I had some cues that something was wrong, but didn't really know what. And then Just woke up one day with some pain in my feet that I thought was weird and just went to work and went about my normal day. And then the pain spread from one foot to the other in the exact same places, which is a classic rheumatoid arthritis sign. And I knew that, but I pretended I didn't know that and just took some ibuprofen and kept going about my day. And then it went to my hands and then it spread around my body and there was no way I could deny it anymore. And that's when I got diagnosed. What did it feel like? Which part, like the emotion of diagnosis or the physical part of the the, rheumatoid arthritis? Definitely the emotional part second, but first the physical part. Yeah, so like the first symptoms, it was interesting. It was was the ball of my foot right underneath my pinky toe and it hurt to put on my shoe. And, And when it spread to both feet, it spread to the balls of both feet and it got to the point that I couldn't wear shoes. Um... I had to wear sandals because my feet were getting bigger and it hurt to walk. It hurt to step on my feet, um, even just walking across the living room. So I was taking a lot of ibuprofen at that point to try and manage it. When it went to my hands, it hurt to bend my fingers. Um, And then when it spread around my body, it actually, it disabled me. So from January to June, by, by, by June, I couldn't work anymore. I was limping crossing the living room. 
I couldn't, I didn't have strength in my hands or wrists to lift a pan or a dish. So I couldn't cook or wash dishes. I couldn't lift my arms over my head. So it was really hard to wash my hair. Um, when I woke up in the morning, I felt like I was 90 years old. My entire body hurt to move. It took a few hours before that would dissipate slightly. But then by evening, a flare would hit. And what that meant was one joint in my body would get targeted especially high. And it would be excruciatingly painful to the point that I was gasping and crying and I had to immobilize that joint. I call it Russian flare roulette. And I never knew which joint would it, it would get hit. So if it was my shoulder, it would go into a sling. If it was my wrist, it would go into a brace. If it was my knee, I, could, I had to get off my feet because I couldn't support my body weight. If it was my jaw, I actually couldn't open my mouth to eat. That was the most terrifying one for me. I think there's a real primal fear when you can't open your mouth. <laughs> so, Lord, I'm sure. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was by far the most terrifying experience of my life. It was the hardest thing I had ever gone through. And it was just, it was awful. It was awful in every single solitary way. And I think a lot of people with autoimmune disease, by the time you get the diagnosis, you know what it is anyway. Um, so the diagnosis just kind of confirmed my worst fears. It, it wasn't a relief for me. I guess some people are relieved if it takes a long time to get diagnosed, but I was a textbook case. You could put my picture in a medical school textbook on here are the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis and here's a picture of Eileen. So it was very easy to diagnose me. Um, but the reason I think I resisted that diagnosis and tried to deny it is I, it, I knew people with rheumatoid arthritis, so I knew what that meant and I did not want to have it. And so that denial phase was something I had to go through, but you know, my body wasn't going to let me get away with that. So two things that blow my mind is the rapid succession of this. I mean, you're talking six months that you went from pretty much no symptoms to full-blown RA. Is yes. that correct? Yes, it was a rapid and severe onset. Okay. And the second thing is that you had seemingly everything, at least 98% of everything dialed in. Mm -hmm. In terms of your nutrition, your lifestyle, you were living in the mountains. I mean, the life I would have prescribed for you, you already right. had that in place and you still got stricken with it. So do you have – what year was this, by the way, when you got the diagnosis? It was 2012. Okay. So we're coming up – so be four years this year. Yes. And if you were to have given yourself a, a cause of this – what would you have said if someone said, well, why do you think this happened to you? Because you had so many things in the right place. Can you pinpoint any particular reasoning behind this now that you're looking back? You know, I can and I can't. And, and I, I'm glad you asked that question because I think what happens is we all want to believe we can prevent something like this from happening. And so we want there to be a cause and effect and a way to protect ourselves against it. And it's really scary to think this can just happen. And frankly, I think this can just happen. <laughs> so, so I think that's part of it. But I think there are epigenetic influences both directions. And so definitely that digestive stuff that was going on the year before that was really painful, something was going on that was stressing my body that I was not addressing. So that was one piece. I, I was not paleo. Paleo wasn't even on my radar, frankly. Gluten-free was, but I didn't want to do it. So I didn't even try it. And I think there's something to 
not having the motivation for a really dramatic lifestyle change until you experience something that gives you that motivation. So for me, prior to rheumatoid arthritis, I don't think I would have changed to something like the paleo autoimmune protocol or, or just regular paleo without a strong, strong motivation. And RA for me was the strong motivation. So there was, I'm sure some food intolerances happening. Um, I've learned that dairy and nightshades, for example, are flare triggers for me. And I was eating those probably every day prior to getting rheumatoid arthritis. So that's one thing. But, but I'm not, but there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't like a ton of other stuff. Like the other thing, it's funny, if you look back on my life, I, I don't smoke, I didn't do drugs, I stopped actually drinking to excess before I was even legal. I stopped when I was 20. That's the last time I got drunk. So I mean, I was someone in my family who was considered the healthy one. So it was really interesting that I was the one that got knocked with autoimmune disease. They talk about Childhood issues, you know, can set you up for certain vulnerabilities in terms of emotionally. I, I didn't have like a tragic childhood, but like a lot of families, there was some struggles. So my parents didn't get along. So there was a lot of fighting when I was young. And I literally felt responsible for my mother, my mother's life as a young child. So there was a lot of pressure on me to be the good kid. So there's something about that. They talk a lot about people with autoimmune disease being oh, caretaker personalities who don't take care of others as well. And I did have a savior complex that I've been working on over the years. So yeah. there's some emotional stuff about that. I was highly um, empathic, taking on other people's emotions and problems. And by the time I got RA, though, I had pretty good, solid boundaries about doing that, meaning I didn't do that anymore. But I had a number of years where I did just kind of absorb like a sponge, whatever anyone else was going through. So that might be a piece in terms of environmental stuff. I don't know, not not really not any kind of great exposure that I know of. That's, that's interesting. So where are you where are you today in your health journey? Update us, keep get us up to speed on where you are in terms of symptoms in terms of the treatments, the things that have worked for you, and how you're feeling today. Yeah, so I was very lucky because when I went paleo, I started feeling positive difference right away. And when I say lucky, I think a lot of people experience that right away. Um, it wasn't an overnight success story, so I don't want people to think that. But I, within two weeks of going paleo, I started to feel the inflammation start to receive, recede for the first time in six months. So it was like I had hit a cusp and finally was seeing a light on the other side. And then slowly but surely, I started getting better. So the flares dropped from excruciatingly painful every day to um, moderately painful a few times a week and then just a few times a month. So it got better. And my morning stiffness, instead of lasting all day, lasted just a few hours and then eventually an hour and then, you know, 15 minutes. Um, as my energy went up, it's really tiring to have that much inflammation going on in your body. So I was exhausted when I first went paleo and I slowly was able to regain like some energy, which made me happy and then lots of energy by the end. So I went paleo first and then five months later kind of plateaued in my progress. And that's when I went on the autoimmune protocol because I wasn't ready to jump straight to something that restrictive. For me personally, I needed to kind of stair-step my way into it. And then the AIP was the key for the flares going away altogether for me. And that's because I was still eating 
nightshade spices and some really high quality fermented dairy, I thought I could get away with that and I, my body can't, cannot. So in terms of how I feel today, I'd say I'm 90 to 95% better from my rock bottom worst. I still have rheumatoid arthritis. I'm not in remission, but I would say the way I describe it to people is it's a whisper in my body where it used to be a scream. So that's something I am incredibly grateful for. I can't even put words to how grateful I am for that. And at the same time, it's a scary whisper. Yeah. Because I don't, because it's a lifetime thing and I don't know where that whisper takes me. So I think as anyone with autoimmune disease, you've got to be honest with yourself and just kind of keep track of how you're doing and what you may need to address in the future. It, it changes. Yeah. And that includes, I like your autoresponder on your email. Tell people about that. Yeah, I did that recently. So when the book came out, it's been very well received, which is lovely. And I'm so grateful for that. And I started getting a lot more emails from people. And I, I actually do really feel like a strong connection to my readers where I, 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 uh, one woman said to me, she said, I feel like you actually care about me. And I said, I really do. I, I care about everyone who comes to my blog. And again, that might be that personality I was talking about before. But if you have um, a million readers, that's a lot of people coming to your blog. <laughs> so, And it's not like a million of them wrote me, but a lot more started writing me than I could keep up with. Right. And so it was a tough decision, but I put an autoresponder letting people know that one of the ways I need to take care of myself is realizing my own limits, both time and energy. And I just can't respond to every single email I get. I read them all but I can't respond to them all. So I created an autoresponder that answers a lot of the questions people have and points them to where they can get, you know, support from people going through the same thing, peer support, as well as professional support like you provide, Evan. And, and then if they want to send me an email on top of that, they can. But the expectation isn't there that I am necessarily available for one-on-one -on -one communication. How much better does that make you feel that you put that in place? It was a huge relief. Yeah. Just, I mean, I just took, it was like a, a sigh and a deep breath. And I felt like I was still giving people the information they needed, but they didn't need to get it specifically from me on a one-to-one -one basis. Right. So it sounds like we all need to put an autoresponder on just as preventative care. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. That's great. So the autoimmune protocol is something that you put in place. Now, have you done any type of testing in terms of stool testing, looking for parasites, adrenal testing, checking for adrenal fatigue, autoimmune screens and different panels like that? Kind of talk me through some of the some of the labs if and and what you've done and what that has showed. Yeah, so when I after doing the autoimmune protocol and getting like a certain, getting that 90 to 95% better, I was wondering if I could get that rest back. I wanted, I mean, obviously I want remission if I can get it. So I did some initial functional medicine testing. I did the complete blood panel and had it, you know, evaluated by someone who looks at that really differently than your regular doctor does. I had the stool testing, comprehensive three-day stool testing done. Um, I had the urine organic acids analysis yep. done. And what was interesting is my everything came back looking pretty good. There wasn't anything dramatic. I didn't have any parasites. I didn't have yeast overgrowth. I didn't have any dysbiosis. I had some like not ideal balance of beneficial bacteria to that. You've seen those tests, right? So that middle column that they call, I don't know what they call it. Do they call it commensal? It just depends on how much you have of right. certain 
bacteria. Yeah. So I had no like dysbiotic, maybe, but just yeah. not all in the green category. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So I had some imbalances there. Um, and so what my practitioner actually suggested was to go ahead. It was interesting because she treated me the same way she would have if I had dysbiosis, meaning an herbal antibiotic and a probiotic protocol, but it didn't make any difference in, in how I felt. Um, the urine organic acids came back like all of my organs looked really good. Um, and same with the blood. So everything came back actually with no major red flags. There were a few supplements that were suggested that I try. And I spent about a year trying a wide variety of supplements just to see if any of them could kind of kick me up to that 100% range and and they didn't. So, so for me, uh, functional medicine hasn't been able to give me that last 5%. But I will say that for the people I know where functional medicine is absolutely key, they don't get that 90 to 95% improvement when they change their diet and lifestyle. Like there's a block somewhere. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I think it's, it's when people are doing everything right, diet and lifestyle. And they're like, why am I only 25% better? Like what's going on with me? And in all the, while I say that there might still be something missing, I'm getting older so I'm 47 now, which means my hormones are getting into that perimenopausal range and things have started changing within the past year. And so I'm ready to do some adrenal slash hormone testing to see what's going on there and see if that can, that, that can help me some. Totally. That's what I was going to recommend because I didn't hear that pop up yet. Looking at your 24-hour 20, rhythm, it'd be interesting to see if and how what you've changed has affected you or if you can still I've had people on autoimmune protocols and they'll still put themselves into burnout so it'd be I'd be curious to see what your results are yeah and I think you're right also because I've had this for four years now the RA and it's and it hasn't been in remission so that means that there my body has been under much milder stress than when I was at rock bottom but that's still stress on a daily basis for four years so it wouldn't surprise me if my adrenals were like, man, this is really, <laughs> this is really tiring. Yeah. Trying to keep me feeling good. And while I say that, um, I had found some supplements along the way that have helped me. Um, so I think it wasn't, it's, I'm not supplement free. So I should be honest with that about people. There are supplements that definitely allow me to keep some of the inflammation down that diet and lifestyle alone doesn't help me with. So I take, curcumin and cat's claw and black currant oil and krill oil and those four make and boswellia so i take those five and they they all make a difference for me and i'm one of those kind of geeky science experiment people who tries one thing at a time good and i try it for a couple of months and i see if it makes me feel better or worse or doesn't do anything for me and then if it helps me i keep it and so I'm real grateful that I found, especially the cat's claw and curcumin, I found right away, and they helped me right away. So that was nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I take cat's claw too, mainly just as an immunomodulator. I don't really have a specific reason, but I feel good taking that. Have you tried arnica before? I have. It doesn't seem to do much for me. Okay, but the boswellia does. Yep. And then yep. what about it- like white willow bark? You know, I haven't taken that. I thought of taking that, but what I've read online, and you may know way more about this than I do, was that they don't recommend that every day either. Mm-hmm. So I thought why I didn't want to take a supplement that wasn't recommended for daily use. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's great. So that's basically your stack that you take now, and there's no other pieces to it. 
Not for supplements. The other thing I do take, and I'm honest about this on my blog, is I have one Aleve tablet twice a day that I do need. And when I've gone off it, I get a level of pain that is not comfortable for me. Really? So, mm-hmm. so while I was able to avoid steroid and immunosuppressant medication, I wasn't able to kick the inflammation down enough to go off it altogether and to go off like um, the uh, anti-inflammatory medication. Interesting. So, so yeah, I like to tell people that just because I think sometimes people think that, well, people like myself or anyone who is public about using diet and lifestyle to heal, I think people assume we're, we're, we've kind of achieved a level of perfection with it. And that isn't always the case. It's, I always say progress, not perfection. And any symptom we can relieve, any ability we can regain is cause for celebration and any medication we can reduce is cause for celebration. So compared to the alternatives for me, if I had just gone straight to the doctor, it's dramatically less than I would have likely been on. I would expect immunosuppressant steroids plus higher doses of the Aleve that I'm currently taking is more common. Um, so yeah, so I would love to not have to take that, but for now I still do. And and it's interesting because when I interviewed Terry Walsh, she still takes pain medication. So it's even her. So she's not on immunosuppressants either. She said the exact same thing. She said she's on way less painkillers than she was before. But both MS and RA, there's a lot of pain with those conditions. And so unless you're in 100% remission, you're not likely going to be pain-free. So was she taking a leave or what was no, she taking? MS is different. It's neurological pain instead of inflammatory pain. So she takes, I think it's gabapentin. Ah, okay. It's a prescription. The only, uh, and with the Aleve, it is an NSAID. So it is a non-steroid anti-inflammatory medication. And it's, I, it's funny because that's the medication people will tell you you're not supposed to take ever um, in the healing diet community. And they'll even list it on some um, AIP list that you're not allowed to have it. So here I am being a rebel and saying I take it anyway because I need it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have to do what you have to do for you, so that's great. So let's go and down the other rabbit hole just for a couple minutes and talk about people are thinking, oh, wow, this sounds great. Let's paint the picture of what the process would have been if you just would have conv- you know, went down the conventional rabbit hole and stayed down that path. What do you think your life and your prognosis and how you would feel on a daily basis, what would that look like compared to what you've basically taken into your own hands? Yeah, it really would be night and day. I've done a lot of research into RA treatment. And and when I say this, you know, some people in the paleo community do best with medication plus diet. So I'm not saying that it's always the answer to avoid those immunosuppressants. But the problem with them is they don't work very well or for very long or for many people. So the, if you look at, say, for example, the pharmacy statistics, methotrexate is the first thing they usually prescribe. And it's considered the gold standard for RA treatment. But it only works for one in seven people to give them a 20% reduction in their symptoms and one in 14 to give a 50%. Isn't that crazy? That's horrible. Yeah. And then it comes with side effects pretty dramatically because it interferes with folate, I guess, reception in your body. So every cell in your body needs folate to function. Methotrexate kind of becomes an obstacle to that. And somehow that, I think, must interfere with your immune cells, which is how it gives you the improvement. But that means every other cell in your body is struggling alongside your overactive immune system. So you have the side effects to contend with. And they do prescribe 
folic acid. Um, and if you're in the paleo community, you're smartly taking methylfolate instead but um, to try and make up for that. But that's kind of a weird thing. There's another one called luflunamide, I think, that actually interferes with DNA synthesis in the body. So that's kind of scary. And then the biologics are targeting the immune system. So that makes more sense to me. And they're more effective, but they still only work for one in three to one in four people. And they're one to $2,000 a month. So if you don't have really good insurance, it's not even an option for you. And I and also my understanding is how it works is your immune system, when you suppress it, fights back. So it it it's rare. Say it works for you and it puts you in remission, it's rare for that to be a lifetime remission. You you constantly have to be back in the doctor's office kind of evaluating your medication, watching your liver, making sure you're able to tolerate what you're currently doing. And then when it stops working, you have to try something else. So that is, you know, scary and frustrating for people. And then what's interesting on top of it, Evan, I don't really know why this is the case, but even if the medication is, say, effectively controlling disease activity, it apparently doesn't control the pain. So most people with RA, and and when I say most, I mean 80 to 90% who are on immunosuppressant medication are taking prescription-level anti-inflammatories at a much higher dose than the one-and-leave tablet twice a day I'm taking, and that's in addition to the immunosuppressants. And some of them need steroids on top of that just to keep the pain under control. So there is a medication protocol that they're doing their best they can to help people. It's just not a very effective one. And it does have a lot of immediate side effects in terms of your quality of life. And then the long-term ones, which are risky, are things like because when your immune system becomes effectively suppressed, you're susceptible to pretty much any illness, which means more antibiotics you're going to have to take. And if you ever need surgery, that's a pretty dangerous scenario because you don't really have an immune system. Wow. That's definitely dire compared to the things that you may face with your lifestyle now. People should go check out your book. It's on Amazon for $9.12. I mean, that's Yay. ridiculously <laughs> cheap. It's like, how could you, you, you can't, how do, how do I say this? You can't not afford to pick up this book. I like it just because it's something that I can give to someone and they could literally read it in a day and know exactly what they need to do. And I stick to somewhat of an autoimmune protocol anyway just because I've found that I feel better. I don't have any weird symptoms or anything that's troubling, but my brain just works better when I'm mostly staying away from eggs and nightshades and things like that. So if you need another book, on your shelf and you need something to give to your friend or your family member and you're sick of trying to get them on board because they don't listen to you this is the way to do it because even myself people think that you know all of us in the community that our families must just be the healthiest happiest people in the world and that's not true at all i have the most resistance going to my dad and some of my other family members trying to get them on board with some of the stuff that i'm talking about here so my goal with this is I need to get a few more copies myself and distribute these to family members and see if that's enough to convince them because it's almost too easy not to try. Mm -hmm. For anything that you're dealing with, even if it's mood-related, this AIP approach that you outline perfectly in this book, it's too easy not to try, I think. And at least do it for, what would you say? What's the minimum amount of time someone should 
should try an AIP protocol to get results, regardless of what the condition would be. Is it six weeks? Is it six months? I mean, the absolute minimum would be 30 days. Okay. But for some me- some people, it takes longer than that. So I'd, like in terms of before you start reintroducing foods, I'd say anyway, anywhere from 30 days to a year, depending on who you are. But I would think for, for people who have the milder end of symptoms, I would think they would see results faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, any improvement, as soon as you start to see improvement, that's just a good sign. Keep going. That's great. Now, can you do rice? You know, yes, I have been able to reintroduce some fun things, including white rice. Awesome. That's good because that's the only thing that I would be scared to get rid of is I love my organic white rice. And I find a lot of people with AIP, they'll either go too low carb or they'll go too low calorie. And then we run into other issues with their adrenals there because they're just not getting enough food. And so Mm -hmm. that's been the only struggle that I've come across that some people just under eat. Has that been hard for you at all or at least adjusting and making sure you're actually getting enough food? Yeah, that makes sense. In the beginning, for sure, I lost weight and I lost too much weight. I think also there's a fear of food when you first make the connection between food and your symptoms. Yeah. And so people avoid food based on that. But you're absolutely right. You can't do that long term (laughs) because your body needs deep nutrition to heal. So you've absolutely got to focus on the foods you eat. And I did get that under under control and I eat plenty, plenty now. And I, I think part of that too is it's just a change when you stop eating a bunch of foods, you don't always adequately replace them with the new foods. Yeah, exactly. So I actually recommend people sit down before they do the AIP and kind of write down, what do I usually eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack now that I can no longer eat? And what am I going to replace that with? And then, and then make sure you fill your house with those foods so that you have plenty to eat. That's great. Yeah, because it could be easy to just distract yourself. Like you you don't set a plan. So then you try to replace something. Even if you're not trying to go AIP and you're just trying to start by going paleo, for example, you may remove something and you'll fill it in with like a gluten-free snack or some gluten-free treat that's not really that much better in terms of the nutrient density that you replace the first food with. Yeah, I think that's a common mistake. And, and one thing that's happening, as you know, and more and more in the paleo community and even the AIP community is there's so many recipes now for, well, desserts. And then what does Melissa Hartwig call it? Sex with your pants on foods. That's hilarious. (laughs) I know. So it's like the pizzas and the, you know, the burritos, like everything that you used to crave, but those aren't the nutrient dense choices. I mean, they're fine to have in once in a while to just feel good about fulfilling a craving, but on the daily basis, you want those large piles of vegetables, good healthy fats, high quality meat and seafood. I mean, that should be the foundation of what you're eating every day. Organ meats, if you can, if you can stand it, um, I eat them. I eat them every week. So, what's your treat? Can you do anything? Which I I can't remember the full ingredient list right now, but something like a miracle tart, which is one of my favorite dark chocolate, coconut oil, raw almond butter treats you probably couldn't do something like that could you because of the nuts you and the chocolates you can't have that on aip yeah um i've been able to reintroduce chocolate so i'm with you my favorite um treat now is dark chocolate that i make myself homemade dark chocolates but but on the aip carobs allowed and there are some recipes online for some some good carob coconut you know truffles so those can be delicious so the chocolate you're you feel good on now 
Yeah, I've been able to, I've actually been able to reintroduce, I do well with eggs too. So that's um, different from you, but my body doesn't have any immune response to those. So that was really nice to get back. And I got chocolate back and I got the white rice, like we mentioned. And I can do nuts and seeds in moderation, but if I eat them on a regular basis, they kind of cumulatively ramp up my inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, I think those are the main ones I got back. The things that I can't have ghee at all. I know some people in the AIP community say that it's okay to have ghee. Um, Sarah Ballantyne says not. And I agree with her just because it turns out that that's still a flare trigger for me even at that low level of trace protein. Interesting. Even at that, though, it sounds like your taste buds are not suffering too bad. No. There's so, there is really delicious food you can eat every day on the AIP, no question. Exactly. See, that's the point I'm glad that we got to come across is so many people focus on what you can't have, and I really try to focus on what you can have, and I really don't even like to mention oh, exclude this, exclude that, exclude this. I just like to focus on, look, here's what you have. And if you focus on that, you're not even going to pay attention to what you're not eating. It, that's just the beauty of this whole thing. It's so true. I mean, and and that's one blessing. There are literally thousands of recipes online now in addition to AIP cookbooks. So, I mean, the inspiration is absolutely there. And there, some of the recipes are complex, but some are super easy. Like yesterday, I made a recipe on my blog. It's called Simple Simple tender pot roast with holy grail gravy, I call it. And um, it's going to feed us for three nights, and it's a slow cooker meal. So it's just, it took me, I don't know, half hour one morning to throw it in the pot, and it's going to feed us for three dinners. And it is absolutely delicious. And we serve it over mashed cauliflower instead of mashed potatoes. And I think it tastes better than any pot roast I had before. That does sound good. I don't know if it exists yet, but if you want something on your to-do list, if you make an AIP crock pot cookbook i'll buy it right that should totally be made the other one people want is an aip instant pot cookbook yeah those are the two wish list items i think totally i have a crock pot going right now i have some some a big uh, beef roast in there and then i have some purple potatoes and carrots and some herbs and some of the spices maybe not 100% AIP that you could eat my stew but it is it smells so good i'm sniffing it right now coming through my my vents here so yeah we are both yeah two slow cooker lovers for sure <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way it's the easiest way exactly well cool well we'll send people back to your website phoenixhelix.com they can also check out your podcast there and they can get your book is there any other words of wisdom or pieces of advice or just general information people should have to to keep up with you and stalk all of your work? You told them how to stalk all of my work. So that's awesome. And the only thing I would say to people, if someone's listening, who feels like they can't do this is what I always tell people is, is where are you right now? Like, how do you feel right now? Because if you're anything like how I felt when RA rocked my world, a dietary change is, is really easy compared to the life you're currently living. So I think if you are suffering and you would use that word to describe your life, this this protocol can make an enormous difference and you are already you are strong. I think if you have autoimmune disease that you have to live with on a daily basis, by default you're a strong human being because you have to to survive it. And you deserve to have a better life than that. I totally agree. Take great care and uh, I'm sure we'll talk later this year. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in as always. Every single week, I'm so thrilled and so happy 
about the community that we've built here. Every week when I talk to you all, when we're spending time on the phone with the free consults, whether I'm taking on as a client, as a patient, I'm amazed at how far some of you have gone to live the life that we're talking about here. Uh, One particular couple comes to mind that I was talking with a couple of days ago. They've converted their front yard into an organic garden in the middle of Los Angeles. I mean, how much better can it get? You know, this is so cool. So I'm really proud of every single one of you listening, and I'm really excited and happy that you're part of this community. There's so much noise and there's so much BS out there, and to actually be able to share my grounded approach to functional medicine with you every single week and just my grounded approach to life and know that you're on board with that and you're doing something similar just makes me so happy and it really does give me hope. So I really appreciate you being here on the other end of the microphone. I would love to see a review on iTunes. I know when you get the pop-ups from any app that you use, hey, review our app. You're just like, no thanks, and you click no thanks, like an automatic response, but it takes two minutes to review the podcast on iTunes. So if you're on your Windows, your Mac, if you're on your iPhone, navigate to the Not Just Paleo podcast. Go to the ratings and reviews. You click the stars that you think the show deserves, and then you enter in some written text, and that's it. And I'll be continually announcing winners for a copy of my Everything Guide to Nootropics book, on the show, and I'll be shipping that to your house, just as an ethical bribe for reviewing the show. Two last things for you. My Neurosynergy product, my herbal nootropic that I talked about in the beginning of the show, you can check out, and I encourage you to check out the research behind that, the ingredients, all of that's back at the website, notjustpaleo.com. Click shop up in the menu bar, and you'll be able to navigate and check out all of my supplements which includes my vitamin C tonic, which is a drink that I use a lot for my adrenal fatigue patients. I have a triglyceride form of fish oil, which means that you don't get fish burps. A lot of supplement companies, they use a cheap form of fish oil that's called the ethyl ester form. And so if you've ever opened up a bottle of fish oil and it smells fishy, or you've ever taken a fish oil supplement and you get fish burps, it's garbage, throw it away. That's an ethyl ester form. You have to use triglyceride form. Much more bioavailable, and it preserves a lot of the compounds that would be in, quote-unquote, a raw fish oil. So that's what I use personally and for all of my patients in my practice. You can check out the full supplement line back at the website, but something that I encourage you to watch out for if for some reason you're not choosing my supplements is try to figure out if people are actually using a contract manufacturer or are they using a professional healthcare company like I'm using that's created by doctors for doctors. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I have enough certifications and letters next to my name, which enables me to have the highest quality nutrients and supplements available. Contract manufacturing is something that a lot of supplement startup companies use. So this is basically a warehouse where a company gathers ingredients and they create your products to your specifications. However, a lot of times you're not going to get the purity, you're not going to get the concentration, you're not going to get the potency or the actual extract that you need. So even if a company says, oh, our supplement has rhodiola, well, does it actually have the extract that you want? Is it extracted to 3% rosevins, for example? That's one particular compound in rhodiola that's helpful. So these are the things you have to watch out for. And So that's something that I'm completely transparent with you about, and I have all the PubMed research of all the supplements. One, because I've worked behind the scenes, and I know what makes a good product and what doesn't. So that's my pitch for my products for this week. And then lastly, 
if you'd like to schedule that 15-minute free consult with me, I would love to talk with you. One thing I do a lot of times is I'll take people that are taking 15 or 20 supplements, and I'll say, look, we're going to cut this down to five because a lot of this is just expensive urine. You're wasting your money. So I really try to get people to only stick with the foundations that apply to their particular issue. And that's a huge personal goal of mine too is just have a minimalist approach to everything. So to schedule that 15-minute free call with me, let's talk about your health goals, your symptoms, your journey. When you're at the website, you'll see complimentary consult right there on the homepage or anywhere else. You'll see that free consult button at the bottom and you can put yourself on my calendar and I'll give you a call and we'll talk. All right, this is Evan Brand signing out. I will talk with you next week. Take great care in the meantime. Bye-bye. He acts like it's all good, yeah, like everything's cool Kiss her girl and I never leaves her She doesn't have a clue that he's terrible blues Why I'm in a tie, I got to watch out, girl Don't wanna see her cry her eyes out, girl Cause I've been watching, you've been hurting Let me be the one that loves you better